Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast. Our guest today is Heidi Mary Schnell. She is the head of digital and consumer marketing for Pair Therapeutics. While the most obvious description of her career is a pharmaceutical marketing executive, her goal is to really help simplify the complexities that everyday consumers and patients often run into. With almost 20 years experience in the pharmaceutical industry, in the last 5 years she transitioned from traditional healthcare to the growing area of digital health and biotechnology and today has a role in introducing and defining the new world of digital therapeutics. Hi Heidi Mary, welcome to our podcast series Women to Women. Hi Divya, nice to see you. Yeah, we are so excited to have you today here with us and having this conversation with you. You are in digital therapeutics, a very up and coming field. Um what is it all about and how did you actually end up here? Yeah, digital therapeutics is fascinating. Um so around uh, early last year, I actually decided to make a career change, a move, and um I love healthcare. I've been in pharmaceuticals for 20 years. I hate to age myself, but around 20 years. Um I've been in big companies and small companies and actually in my my previous uh role, I moved into the digital innovation space and um I learned so much. Um really just about how to leverage data, um understanding customers, applying those learnings, um to and insights into how to motivate and change behaviors and so you know going beyond just digital advertising um i was really curious about this space so as i was taking a look um i kept hearing about something called digital therapeutics and honestly i was learning about this on linkedin and um i came across an, an organization that was one of the leaders in this space and i i had my eye on them and i talked to people all my different contacts and everybody knew about this company and i said well they're they're not near me they're in boston you know i don't have a chance and then covid hit and the silver lining of this whole covid situation is that um a role came out in my linkedin popped up in my queue it looked like it was written for me and i applied and the next day i got a message about it and i started the process and um the rest is history but digital therapeutics as a whole um encompasses any kind of healthcare that is facilitated online or via your mobile device um the area that i particularly am in right now is prescription digital therapeutics and what that is is there are treatments that are actually fda authorized to treat chronic disease um So it's fascinating there is a a range in digital therapeutics of using a, a complementary um tool or device along with other therapy for a chronic disease or a standalone um treatment which are the treatments that I personally work on. Um this area is is so interesting because right now there's this dynamic of validating these types of treatments as serious um and critical to treat disease and then there's also this very consumer driven market um that has you know wellness apps right and meditation and maybe sleep management um so what's fascinating about this industry is that um it's not going anywhere because this push pull of validation of going direct to the consumer but then also having these FDA authorized treatments um it's just continues to grow it's massive 
That's very fascinating, right? New area, absolutely new. And uh, I think COVID has definitely brought it to the forefront. All of these apps, as you mentioned, the mindfulness, the calming apps before you sleep. We didn't have all these like two years ago. They were maybe there, but not in your face like they are today. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it, it's fascinating when I think about maybe a year or two ago when we talked about self-care, we talked about getting facials or maybe going to get a massage. And now self-care in a lot of respects is being open to therapy and meditation. So it really has shifted quite a bit. Fascinating. In our earlier conversation, you'd actually mentioned you had some millennials on your team and you really got to learn a lot from them. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because every time, you know, you hear people learn from people three levels up and you were the first one who actually mentioned that, which was mm -hmm. extremely interesting. Well, I mean, I think it's humbling because the reason why I think about it so much is because um, you have judgments and, you know, one of the big, one of the, the big learnings here is, is sometimes you joke around about things and you hear stereotypes and you have these prejudgments and, you know, you have this judgment about all oh, millennials and they work this way and they act this way. And so when I entered this workspace um, in my last role, I was surrounded by people that did not have my background. They were quite a bit younger than me. And um, let me tell you, um, it was really humbling to learn from them every single day and also to see them wanting to learn from me. And so the hunger and the desire to learn and leverage what we both know was really a two-sided situation. Um, and um, I'm still in touch with a lot of those folks today and they're killing it. And um, I became some of their coaches a little bit. So I coach them a little bit. Um, but I, I love when people surprise you and you check yourself and your judgments. And I think, you know, thank God that happens because it really can kind of snap you out of your comfort zone. Did everything go according to plan in your career? You know, I really didn't have a lot of plans. Um, I wasn't one of those kids that had a goal that I always wanted to be a doctor or this or that. Um, I kind of ended up just going into direction that I loved and that I was curious about. And opportunities were presented to me um, by people that I, I really liked and respected. And that helped take me into different directions. So one of the learnings that I had is, you know, if whoever you work with, like continue to feel like you're, you're allowed to guide them. Um, so no, I just kept my eyes and ears open and followed my passions for sure. Anybody who was instrumental in uh, shaping your life? So my background, my parents are immigrants from Germany. And so um, we had a business growing up. My father is a pastry chef. And um, I was just used to my family working 24 seven. So this was like the work ethic, um, but a lot of family time. It also got me exposed to really good food. So that's something that I've taken with me the rest of my life. But I think this desire for a, a work ethic and the reward that you get from that, working hard and being able to play hard as well is something that really helped shape what I bring to the table, um, whether in my professional life as well as my personal life. Growing up in, in my family, my parents, immigrant parents, um, working really hard, always felt um, like 
like my family was a little bit different. And when you're younger, you know, you don't really like that. And I still look back on that, you know, shamefully that um, I wanted to just be like everyone else. My parents had a strong accent. That was a little bit weird. But I will tell you, being brought up in kind of a European way, just little things have really shaped me of just how you look people in the eye, um, just how you treat other people, how much um, time and respect you put on getting together, eating and drinking together. But my family life in terms of my siblings is pretty interesting. I have a brother who is the complete opposite of me, but, but we're best friends. And he was, he's so smart. And I was more the social person, you know, in high school, I didn't really care what I was doing. And um, he has like 80 different degrees. He's a doctor. He went to school for 15 years. And so I always felt oddly enough, like in his shadow, because he was so brilliant, like book smart. Um, but I was more outgoing. And the funny thing is, I remember when I was in my early 20s and I got my first job in New York City and I'm working, barely making any money, but I had a job. And I do remember my father saying to me, you know, he's like, you're the first one that's making a paycheck. You know, you're getting a paycheck and Eric's not. So it was one of the like most rewarding things to hear from a family of what they perceive as, you know, he may be great at this, you know, but you're on the job market and I don't know. It was just like a really rewarding feeling. So, so if you were not here, where would you have been? Mm. I would like, if I could have maybe a different life or a different career. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I would have moved to California and I would be a chef. And it's because I, of course I love food, but I move really quickly and I'm really quite bossy. And I think I'd be really good in a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> those, those, those are definitely required skills in the kitchen. Yeah, not very nice ones, but yeah. <laughs> so along the way, any naysayers? Yes. All, um, I say my childhood in school and even in college, um, I was always called an underachiever. And I'll be honest with you, I still kind of feel like maybe I am an underachiever, but um, I like to um, not overcomplicate things in my life and not always go for, for things that I'm, that I'm not familiar with. And that's something that I'm, I challenge myself every day. Um, but yeah, I had naysayers. Um, I had a situation in college where I just was not doing well. I was threatened to not go back to college. And I think for the first time that woke me up and I started becoming an adult and saying, oh my God, all these good things could really be taken away from me. And um, ever since that moment, um, I really turned things around and started to focus and I started to get this drive and I realized like just because things may be given to you or laid out in front of you, you have to earn it and make it real. And so I've, I've really taken that, you know, throughout the rest of my life. That's, that's some story, right? Um, somebody in college right now, right, mm -hmm. who wants to be doing digital therapeutics at some point and be somewhere close to where you are today. What would you suggest? Where should they start? What kind of things they should look at college? I do have some friends who have kids that are nearing college and, and in that area and looking for, for different roles. And I think my, my biggest suggestion there is when you're younger and you're starting out to just stay open to opportunities that may not be your exact target because you're learning so many different things that help shape your ability to be successful in that area. 
So for example, if digital therapeutics or, or pharmaceuticals is interesting to you, you may also want to start working in a marketing role um, or business development or a social media manager at a large you know, advertising agency and just understand that you don't always have to get to that goal right away. Sometimes there's different steps like a ladder to help you get there and to just stay open to those kind of experiences. Women in general, right? We tend to try to blend in quite a bit. That's a natural tendency. Have you kind of seen um, typical behaviors that you have seen at workplace or outside of workplace? What are some of the qualities that you think we should embrace to really get further ahead in our life and in our career? Sure. I think allyship is really important, um, partnership and, and making those network connections and making sure that the women that you work with feel supported and that you um, in a very external and open and outgoing way, a public way within your organization are supportive of each other. Um, but the other thing, I, I actually have some very simple practical advice because sometimes I, I, I see women that maybe wait for men to, to speak first or um, go into a meeting room and there's a chair at the table, sit in that table, don't take the back row. And I see that a lot. So always make sure if you have the opportunity to be at that table. I worked at a company where the CEO said he didn't like when people sat in the front row, sit in the front row, sit in that front row and be present and have a voice. Don't be shy to ask that first question in a meeting because you're going to be remembered for just participating and showing up. So I just always encourage, especially women that are maybe a little bit younger that I work with, um, it just shows your curiosity and it shows your involvement and your investment. Um, so have a voice and that could be translated in, in many different ways. Absolutely. In your career, did you ever seek out mentors and what was the values that they imparted to you? So it's interesting when I think about mentorships, because in my history, I've never formally, and maybe also because of, of my age and when I grew up, it wasn't anything formal where I requested mentorship, but it was always very organic. Um, I remember my, my mentor today, who's actually become one of my closest friends, um, we met because um, I was at a company, it was my first job, and I found out my boss was fired. I was like 24, I freaked out. We go into this meeting and I started to cry <laughs> just out of total fear that I was alone. Like I felt abandoned and she was in this meeting and um, she felt so, she felt really sympathetic for me. And I feel like from that day on, she took me under her wing we ended up working together um, for years. We took on professional challenges together. Um, and actually we ended up coming back together at another company. You know, there's, there's people that extend themselves um, who can be objective and subjective. And I think it's that perfect combination of being empathetic and knowing you personally, but also be able to give you some tough objective advice. Um, and that is to this day, what I, you know, have always respected um, from her. And um, when I work with um, people that look to me for mentorship, I, I try to do the same. It's really important that you do have a connection and that they feel trust, like trust on both ends, I think is really important. Networking, you mentioned networking. Um, what has networking done for you? And has it played a role? And what would your advice be? So networking, I think today is really tricky. And, and I don't know if what I'm going to say is controversial, but 
you know, just because you're reaching out to a lot of people and, and you want to network, you have to understand that people have to be open to networking. And so just bombarding people and asking for a meeting and phone calls and can you forward my resume? Um, I just don't think that that's the right way to do it. So maybe I'm just not as aggressive that way, but, you know, I do believe, um, social channels and LinkedIn and just friends of friends um, are really, really important. But um, I'm a believer that networking really should be within um, people that you know or where there's some kind of familiarity, um, but it does have to come across as, as help and advice and, and be realistic that not everybody has the time um, to give to you. So there is, there is a level of politeness and respect that I think is involved in that approach and, and everybody does it differently. Um, but uh, I do think that some of the best roles and positions professionally have come out of networking. I noticed today that most roles are less about if you fit on paper, but if the chemistry is there and if you're the right cultural fit. So that's when networking and, and getting validated by somebody that knows you is, is really important. So when, when you try to hire, what do you look for? I, I look for enthusiasm and passion. I got to be honest, you know, uh, uh, people who ask questions, um, people who want to learn, people who do their homework is something that I'm really impressed by. So that's what I look for. It's not necessarily their background. I look for people that are hungry. So COVID happened and you mentioned it early on that, you know, during COVID, you actually took up a new job. So what was your experience? How did you manage through the tough times and what was your positive out of all of this? Mm. So as I mentioned, I started this new role during COVID and it was remote. And what's so interesting is to start a new job remote, which I've never been a remote employee, um, was a real eye-opening thing for me. I, I, I always talk to people that had remote jobs or if they worked in sales and so they had a home office. And I said, oh, I could never do that. I need to be around people. I need energy and I need life around me and, and just to have conversations. But this is my world now. And so we're on Zoom. Uh, I work at a camera on organization. So I'm doing these kind of things all day. Um, and I think the challenge for me is I would be working with people for weeks and weeks and weeks. And all of a sudden I remember saying, I don't even know how tall you are. Like, I don't even know what your style is. Like, are you wearing shoes right now? So it was this big aha. And then I realized I was not alone. So um, there's a lot of people um, in, in, especially in healthcare. I mean, healthcare is so durable. It's been successful and people have been hiring. So I would just always laugh with some of my other colleagues that just say, I've never met in person anybody that I see on a daily basis. The fact that you can still engage with people like we are doing today, even though Zoom can get very draining, seeing people face-to-face, -face, having those conversations, it, it does actually feel real and it, it brings things to life for me. So you're in digital health which has this whole digital component, I'm sure a huge social media component as well. What's your relationship with social media? So social media is interesting in that um, I feel this is one of the things that I'm helping to bring to my organization right now. We're a digital organization, but it's still a startup. So um, I love this idea that I'm helping to bring new channels to life. And so that's something that you're working on. And as you know, in the pharmaceutical industry, it's, it can be highly regulated, um, you know, the wild, wild west of social media. Um, but there are ways to make the organization feel comfortable. There's different ways to utilize social media that can still be a benefit to your brand and, and your marketing initiatives. 
Um, personally, I'm not a big social poster, um, but I am, I am a voyeur. So I have many accounts, um, a lot of them business. Cause I like to just sneak around and see what everybody else is doing. And, and you know, yeah, it's part of my job. So I kind of have to do that, <laughs> but what's great is I have a coworker who's never used Instagram and, um, every Friday I give her little assignments to do. And then that has led to her, her actually having an Instagram account for her new puppy. So I feel like, like I've won. I've accomplished something. <laughs> that, that's great. Now, I feel good because I had no Instagram oh, and on. my daughter gave me tips and I opened my Instagram and I think I have nine followers right now. I, I feel like I've won the whole lottery or something. Nine very important people. <laughs> I, I love them with all my heart. They, they decided to follow me. What more do I have to say? But you know, I'll say something serious about social media and this is something um, that's really important that, that people just need to embrace, you know, people talk about social media and, and there, it, there tends to be a stigma there, but honestly, this is how people learn about new products and services and about organizations, about advocacy. Um, it's not just a place where you're sharing photos or silly videos. Um, there are people that'll go over their social media um, to learn versus going to a product website. So um, it really is just a new informational channel that works a little bit differently, but it needs to be accepted broadly. This isn't um, anything that's going to go away. And um, I just believe that organizations just have to learn how to embrace it and work within. Pharma in general yeah. kind of follows 15 years after the trend goes up and down. Right, We're very late to adapt because of our compliance, regulations, whatever else. But I think with this COVID situation where everybody had to work from home, we kind of took a lot of leaps of faith. We kind of went into social media in a way that the industry has never done before. A lot of omni-channel strategies, the digital strategy teams were like super busy throughout last year because yeah. there was nobody in person doing much. Do you think it's here to stay? It, it absolutely is here to stay. I mean, just the evolution of Facebook going from something more social or personal network based into one of the, the largest organizations and means to disseminate information and to, to engage with information. I mean, it's, that's the model and it's being commoditized. Um, and it's almost a corporate mandate. It's a mandate for your brand to be somehow involved with Facebook, right? Um, so I do believe that social media is here to stay. One of the areas of growth that I've seen that I'm involved in on a daily basis is the area of telehealth. And that is nothing new. This concept of having a conversation with a physician is, is not super new, but it wasn't wildly embraced. And um, again, I would say there's could be 100% awareness of telehealth, um, but that doesn't mean that everybody's doing it. So it still is a new area and a new field, but huge companies, Teladoc, Amazon, GoodRx, these are all brands that are embracing and leveraging um, the platform of telehealth. Um, right now, it's still very much used for acute care, um, but there are a lot of opportunities for future growth in terms of treating chronic conditions. And if you think about, you know, most, I would say our research shows that consumers under 45, they trade the convenience of getting healthcare done online around their on-demand schedule than having that relationship with, uh, with a physician. 
that they would have to schedule six weeks in advance to have. So um, people are changing. What's important to them and what's valuable to them is changing. And so I, I think the integration of telehealth as a platform um, and how that works to support your brand um, is really kind of the next future that we're all still trying to figure out. To quote you, you had mentioned that you are not just paving the road, but finding one. Mm. That's so powerful. Well, this idea of working in a startup organization, um, the idea of, of building a path where maybe there's just this open field, um, you know, it's, it's scary in a way, but it's also exciting and exhilarating. And I think it does take a little sense of confidence and you got to be a little bit bold because you're, you're just placing bets. And you're using your background, your collaborative background and experience with everybody that's on your team, but you're placing bets to see if I'm paving the right road here. But there's a thrill in that. Um, and I, I do think that some larger organizations could learn a lot about having this more agile marketing methodology of taking an idea and getting it to a place where it can um, live and maybe start breathing, but once it's alive, see what's happening and then continue to shape it and build it out further. Instead of this idea of creating something, creating to perfection for two years and wasting those two years without really learning, you know, how this thing is going to thrive. So this idea of working in an agile way at, at a startup organization is something that's like a real turn on. It's, it's exhilarating. Your enthusiasm is very catchy. So in closing, any final comments? I would say my biggest piece of advice is just to be open. Um, I spoke about this earlier, to, to not be judgmental, be open to new opportunities, because sometimes those new opportunities that you didn't see in front of you are the ones that can have the biggest impact because they challenge you, because your brain may not have even considered that option. I also am a believer, so this is one of my values, which maybe everybody doesn't agree with, but be decisive. In terms of values, something that I hold really dear to my heart is um, always trying new things. Um, I have this rule that I have to do something new every single day, and it gets me into a habit of shaking me out of my routine because I love routine. And when I say try something new every day, it could mean just walking down a different block or making a left turn instead of a right turn or putting your yoga mat in a different spot. But by doing that, you're, you're becoming more open to new experiences. And I do think um, it opens you up to new possibilities on your day to day. If there's an opportunity in front of you or a decision to be made, I like to always encourage people around me, you can always change direction, but don't stand still. Like you could always pivot later, but try to be decisive. And that's one of the values that um, I had in an organization in my past. And then my final piece of advice is, is don't be scared of something new because you could really surprise yourself. So Heidi Mary, this was an interesting conversation to say the least. Um, and I really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me.